Welcome back to Caucus Talk. This is episode 83 and the third in our three-part series on religion in the North Caucasus. We wind up today by turning our attention to the nuance of religion in the region. Nuance, you got it. It's different from city to city and person to person. So uh, enjoy as we wrap this series up. Okay, uh, point number four about religion in the North Caucasus. It is nuanced. Nuanced. Andrew, I cannot hear the word nuanced without thinking of my professor at Pitagore State University who <sighs> used this word all the time and she would huh. sort of hunch forward and put her fingers out or, or like hold her thumb and fingers together pointing up and sort of swish them around like she was... Like she was sifting sand out of her fingers, and she'd be like, nuancy, nuancy. Like, there's all these nuances. Like, she could feel them between her fingers, these little bits of things. I'm I like, I'm done. <laughs> to this day, I was like, nuance. I'm like, mm, nuancy, nuancy in my fingers. So, anyway. That's awesome. The religious nuance. Yeah. And I think just the point to say here, um, it's really easy, kind of the, it's the easy route to take to try to peg the North Caucasus with being a certain way. Well, and um, it's a demographic approach. I mean, it's not like wrong. If you're saying something, if you're being accurate about and saying the majority or, you know, in general, but the problem with, with that is it's like good for state level, you know, management of some sort, but it's not good right. for person to person interaction. If you walk in the door thinking, you know what a given person's about necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I think something that's really important to remember about this region is every one of the republics is different. Um, so you might even have been to Dagestan a lot and know a lot about Dagestan, but it's not representative of the region as a whole. You know, it's representative sure. of Daga Dagestan. Same with Chechnya, same with North Ossetia, same with Kabardino Balkaria, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, every republic uh, is different, and then every individual is different. <laughs> and that's what makes this a fascinating conversation. But I, I think there are trends and patterns we've noticed, and uh, really what we're going to talk about in this part is what is religion like today in the North Caucasus? Because we live here today. That's been our, you know, tangential experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's start with big picture and then work our way down into the nuance, the, the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've we mentioned this, but definitely if you look at the region as a whole, uh, the eastern three republics are by far the mo more religiously conservative regions. Those and I being, just, I mean, I've said this before, but religion is a major part of everyday life in Dagestan when we moved from Stavropolsky Krai, from Pitigorsk, which is technically administrative capital of the North Caucasus, uh -huh. to Dagestan, we, like, moved worlds. I mean, it's so different. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that's connected to the, uh, the daily religious experience. Yeah. Um, so Dagestan and Ingushetia Chechnya, I would say, is the same way. It's kind of... I'm sure they are, totally. They're their own kind of worlds within the North Caucasus and within yeah. Russia. 
So these are the more uh, conservative uh, republics where you really feel it and see it in society at a big picture level. Um, if you move a little west, I would say because North Ossetia, which is right west of Ingushetia, and then Adigea, which is the far western part of the region, because for one, is, Islam is not the main religion there. Uh, and uh, they have, yeah, that's a big influence. And there's just different nationalities, especially Adigea has more Russians than Adigs. Um, these feel more, for lack of a better word, secular or Russianized, but they just feel different. You know, Ascetians mm-hmm. probably would take, take offense to me saying Russianized, but it, it's, it's very different because it's a different religion that's practiced there. Um, you see it in how people dress, et cetera. Um, Kabardina Balkoria, Karcha Cherkessia, I would say, uh, on the spectrum, they're more towards the conservative end, but yeah, not as conservative as, not as conservative as, um, Dagestan, Chechnya, Ingushetia. Maybe you and, could say they're more traditional would be a better word. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, since we're speaking of nuancy, I think it's important to, you know, we're not just talking on a two-dimensional scale. You either go left or right. I mean, less conservative might mean in tr- kind of in in exercise of religion or in in um, kind of uh, how how Islam is practiced in a given place or religion is practiced. But it doesn't necessarily speak to less committed to their religious identity or mm-hmm. or less kind of serious about it 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 would mean that their their practice of it maybe doesn't fit a conservative description so again i mean not just timbulat but others i i know from uh from uh carbardina balkaria like i would think the people i know would go to the mat for their religion for islam mm-hmm. but they are practicing it in uh in a less conservative way. So I just want to make sure that that you know, hearing when we say less conservative doesn't mean that they're more atheist, for example, yes. or less uh, committed, I think. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, it's kind of just a funny dynamic in the region. Like one nationality uh, will prop up their uh, approach to Islam as the more moderate uh, a, like tolerant version and they'll like knock on another, uh, you know, nationality in the region and say they, they go way too far with it. And then you talk to that nationality and they'll say, well, we, you know, we really follow Islam in the pure way. Like, you know, this nationality, mm-hmm. they're more compromised <laughs> and, you yeah. know, like, it's funny cause you hear that a lot. Like, sure. um, on the one hand, you know, yeah, we're all, uh, Caucasus, we're Muslims, but there will be like subtle knocks, uh, at what they view as not the right way to do it. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, I think, you know, we talked about once the Soviet Union collapsed, essentially people were starting from scratch here. They were rebuilding religious buildings. Uh, religion as a whole was kind of right. being woven back into society. I mean, there's so much that goes into that. And so, of course, 
since the early 90s, religious institutions uh, have been built all over the region. I'm talking about mosques, Orthodox temples, some of these, like in Ossetia, I know the kind of the holy places, the shrines have been rebuilt and taken care of. Yeah. And we're not, not, we're not just talking about in, you know, capital cities. In small villages, like, um, for example, you know, I think the main mosque in Grozny is real famous, uh, the heart of, heart of Chechnya Mosque. The world's, or at least Europe's largest mosque was built in the last two years in Shali, Chechnya, which is about 30, 40-minute drive from Chechnya, wow. uh, from Grozny. But, like, I was visiting a friend at a wedding in Ingushetia, a small town, earlier this year. This small town called In- Inarki, and it's outside of Malgabek, and they have this beautiful new blue mosque that was being built. Like, this is happening all over the region. It's uh, everywhere where Muslims live. It's not just in the main cities. It's, wow. Yeah, in the smaller towns, there are, like, Muslim educational institutions. The, the two I know of for sure are in Grozny and Malgabek and Ingushetia, but... I mean, what would you say, what do you notice in Dagestan at a republic-wide level that kind of shows the revival of religion in the region? Well, I don't have a lot to, right. I mean, I don't have the longitudinal experience in Dagestan to compare it personally from how it has been or whatever. Um, I would say that I have, from conversations with friends and seeing that, uh, the younger generation, guys my age and younger, um, so in their 30s, 20s, they take their religion really seriously. They'll they'll pray five times a day. They'll yeah. kind of drag each other into the prayer room like, hey, we're at a cafe. I mean, cafes have prayer rooms. Um, there's, there's, it's, so I, I don't... Peer, peer pressure is a negative term. It's not that, but there is a a corporate, um, yeah. public aspect to it. I mean, I I spoke before about zoning out about Ramadan. I went to um, a cafe that is usually teeming with with Muslim men, but I went at like twelve thirty p.m. on Friday, and it yeah. was totally empty and i realized oh i'm three blocks away from the central mosque and (laughs) everyone's at mosque and if i stay here another hour they'll probably all come stampeding in and have lunch (laughs) here but i was like what's you know i can like (laughs) like doodling along like where is everyone oh right duh so but i mean i've had taxi drivers stop and you know, at a gas station, the gas stations all have prayer rooms, so right. that kind of public presence is a big part of it. Yeah, that I see, and then I see it. Um, I think I've mentioned this before a little bit with weddings. Um, that's one of the places where there's a there's a question or conversation about which cultural elements and which religious elements will you incorporate. And um, I've had many conversations where the guys will talk in those terms, like, is it a Muslim wedding? Is it going to be like a strictly Muslim wedding? Is it a cultural wedding? In uh, other words, will, it, will there be alcohol? Will there be dancing and music? 
will there be all the dressing up in you know the tuxedo and the white gown uh bridal dress or is it going to be more and more religious until it's like purely done by a any mom you know as a re- strictly religious ceremony with no party attached i mean that's sort yeah. of the end of the, yeah, yeah. The, the spectrum and so to see young people choosing that some of them um to me indicates that it is there is that kind of re- revival uh of religious interest and kind of affection in dagestan yeah and i think that's i think this is where you notice the differences is in how individuals live their lives the the thing the little things they do or say you know so let's that's a good transition i want to talk about that for a little bit sure. so you can see on a societal level like yeah there's lots maybe new mosques um there's prayer places and lots of public places for people to do their prayers kind of set aside and it's uh clean um but yeah like these little things that you noticed um you know people stopping what they're doing they go do their prayers i've been in rooms of you know eight or nine caucasus uh people and yeah. when it's t- it's time for the prayers you know five will go do the prayers and three will stay in the room it's real interesting uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh so that can sometimes be like a sign usually if a person is, during the day is doing their prayers that they're a little more devout you know and you you see that often uh with certain individuals um I think you can notice it in how people dress. Uh, in general, uh, women will wear head coverings throughout the region. Not everywhere in the region, but in many parts of the regions. Uh, which which region are you talking about? I would say most of the Caucasus. Not all of the Caucasus, but many parts of the Caucasus. They might you have mean, like a, a small uh-huh. handkerchief on their hair at least. You, know? you mean most Muslim women or women altogether? Most Muslim women, yeah. Yeah. And Orthodox uh, women will also often wear uh, a handkerchief on their hair. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, but uh, certain parts of the region, probably more in Ingushetia, Chechnya, and Dagestan, you'll see women like in the full kind of hijab dresses with their heads totally covered. Um, and meaning, you'll also... meaning going from the forehead down to the chin, because it's actually illegal in Dagestan right. to cover from the from the cover the eyes or from even the nose down the face has to be open yes i i'm not sure i've ever seen that here actually the full face cover um yeah yeah. but definitely like yeah your head covered and the kind of long flowing dress um and those republics that's more common and you definitely see it in the other republics as well not as often you see lots more young guys with kind of the longer beards um, which sometimes can be a sign of devotion. Um, specifically in Ingushetia, Chechnya, and you've mentioned in Dagestan too, you'll see like signs on the side of the road with like a verse from the Quran uh, in Arabic um, or maybe in the local language. It's kind of a reminder about God or religion. Sure. Is that is that common there in billboards or on signs in Dagestan? Yeah, in some places. Um <laughs> Definitely in some places. Uh, I mean, it just depends. Like, there, there'll be medical um, services that are oriented toward Muslim approaches to medicine, for example. And so the signs will be green and have, you know, or ads, for example, you know, have Arabic huh. on them or whatever. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, I I definitely notice uh, some people will use Arabic phrases in their like everyday vocabulary instead of the Russian equivalent, and that can be a sign of a person who like is choosing to be more devoted in their religion. Well, so the two that's, f- yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say the two phrases you'll hear most consistently are uh, Alhamdulillah, which is uh, means like all praise to God. The Russian equivalent would be Slava Bogu. Um, and then uh, Mashallah, uh, which is kind of like, often they'll say it about your children. Uh, that's usually when that phrase is used. Uh, it's kind of like, may God bless them or something. Well, it means God has done it. So it's a way of, of when there's compliment or a good thing that's happened of deflecting, taking credit or being proud or attracting the evil eye. So mashallah, mashallah is like God's, God's done this. Give him credit. Mm. kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that can sometimes be an indicator and that's becoming more and more common, I would say. And then I, sometimes it's interesting, uh, talking with a person from the Caucasus, what they choose to lead uh, with in conversation about who they are. Uh, Sometimes they'll like start immediately talking about their nationality and, you know, what they're proud of, of their nationality. Mm -hmm. Others sometimes will talk about their religion first uh, and then nationality second. And that can also be an indicator of uh, what they choose to identify themselves first with. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. I agree. Um, yeah. So I think in that sense, you see these things increasing in the region, uh, as you have conversation with people, would you, anything you would add to that, Eli? Um, I, I more of a question. I wonder if it's only in Islam or if in other places, other sectors, religious interest is growing also, you know, in Assyria, is there an intensification or a return to traditional religions in the Orthodox Church or in Protestant denominations, are the youth, you know, laying hold of that? Right. Or is it uh, maybe not as widespread? I don't know. It's something to, to kind of tune into. Yeah, I've definitely read a little about uh, both in Assetia and Abhasia, kind of even at the state level, kind of a return to embracing the traditional religion as a part of their identity. Um, but I can't speak to that much from my personal experience. I haven't interacted with people from those places very much on those topics. Um, yeah. I've also yeah. heard in Mahachkala people who are older say how much things have changed and how mm-hmm. much more prevalent Islam is and, and certain s- types, certain stripes of Islam. Um, and you can see it generationally. I mean, you've talked about the mustached men in Dagestan, you know, guys with mustaches and no beards, and then sort of there's a a, cha- a crossover. The younger guys who uh, want to show their, their religious um, seriousness with a beard and, uh, and hmm. the trappings. Yeah. 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 So on the flip side of that, there's lots of indicators too when you interact with people that religion doesn't play as important a role in their life and i interact with people a lot like this um often like i said you know if you're in a room of muslims and some go do their prayers and some don't uh, those who probably stay in the room 
at least in how they practice Islam, they're not quite as devout, you know? Sure. Um, there's this whole kind of toasting, drinking culture uh, where there's kind of a mix of, you know, vodka and God. Yeah. Um, definitely have been in uh, circles where that's pretty prevalent among Caucasus peoples. Um, of course, that older generation that grew up in the Soviet Union, um, many of them still are, you know, they acknowledge religion but aren't very devout followers, I would say. Um, but then, like, I think the interesting point, and this is the nuance point, you know, like, you just meet people who have had unique experiences, you know, and, like, you see everything isn't so cut and dry or black and white. Um, and that can be whether, you know, it'd be easy for some Caucasus peoples to say like, you know, we're all this religion, you know, all of us, none of us are this religion. Uh, but like realistically in the world, it's not exactly how things work. And because huh. every individual has individual experiences, you know? And so, I've met people, um, one couple comes to mind that uh, the wife was Russian, the husband was Kabardian, um, and when it came time for them, their first child was born, the Russian family is wanting to know, are they going to baptize the child to the Orthodox <laughs> Church? And the Kabardian family is wanting to know, are they going to go through the like rites of passage you would do for a, a Muslim child? Uh-huh. And neither of the husband or wife were very religious. And so they decided not to do either and let the child choose when they get older. <laughs> and neither family liked that option. <laughs> so uh, it was a tension. It was a, it brings necessarily brings tension, you know, that this topic. Yeah. In real life, it can bring tension into a family. And, uh, you know, in the West, you know, a lot of people would probably say, good for them, you know, let their child choose. But for here, like, usually it's it's the parent's choice, you know? Right. And so uh, there's a lot of cases like that now where a lot of factors happen to, to come into play. Um, and I think that family setting is really where a lot of it uh, is happening. You know, I think uh, there's, across the society at large, there's, a lot of diversity, but I think when you get down to family and neighborhood units, you know, um, there's, that's where a lot of the pressure comes for conformity one way or another. I mean, I've been with families who have favored a much more strict take on their religion. And I've been with families who, you know, one person got really serious about religion and that made them an outsider or, or sort of dipped out and then came back to kind of the way the family was. So uh, that's not very different. I don't think from, from our society in the U S you know, it's on that family levels where you really can feel it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I I think that's the context to understand even maybe religion here in the Caucasus is it's in the family context. Usually, uh, most people in most families, uh, kind of are of the same belief system. Sure. But of course, there are exceptions to every rule. Um, I met, uh, I rode in Nalchik one time with a, he was an Ossetian taxi driver. Uh, and uh, he had a real interesting story. He grew up kind of in a 
traditional, like nominal, but like Christian Ossetian home. And he uh, ended up in prison uh, for some things he did. And he mm-hmm. actually accepted, is- he accepted Islam in prison. Um, and like, it was real interesting talking with him because I hadn't met many people like him in the Caucasus like that. But <laughs> yeah, he had uh, pretty good relations with his parents now and like really felt like his, his life had changed for the better. Um, I've also met, uh, Caucasus people from Muslim families who have decided to accept Christianity. Uh Um, and you know, in some of those families, it's caused conflict and others, it hasn't, it just depends on the family, you know? Um, I recently met a, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I would say though, certainly on the Eastern side in Dagestan, to to leave Islam almost always draws a pretty sharp line. Mm. And I do think that there's a, a more of a disruption to family relations um, in, in that republic and over the eastern three republics. Um, not everywhere, but... Yeah, and, th- and that makes sense. Um, I recently interacted with a... He was from a Nogai family, a Dagestani guy. Uh, but his father was more, uh, pretty traditional Soviet, not really, didn't really believe, uh, mother also, you know what? I think his brother, mother was Russian. Uh, uh-huh. I'm having a hard time remembering that, but what I remember was he had two brothers, uh, his older brother, his older brother, the oldest brother decided to be a Muslim. He is the middle brother decided to uh, follow Orthodox Christianity and his youngest brother decided to be a Protestant Christian. <laughs> okay. And yeah, yeah, like Thanksgiving dinner at that house. Well, I know. Exist, no, but. <laughs> it was, I mean, that is extremely rare to meet a family like that where yeah. so many kind of divergent paths were taken. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it does in a sense reflect the diversity of kind of, religion in the region of the day, the diversity that can exist, you know, it doesn't mean it's like that everywhere. Um, but yeah. I mean, the, the idea that culture travels in a straight line is, is nice and tidy, but doesn't really reflect reality. I mean, we've, in studying cultures, you know, there's, there's categories that linguists define when they survey and find, you know, language barriers, and then they draw them on maps, and here's here's one language group, here's the next language group, and ethnologists, ethnographers have been doing this for decades in uh, the North Caucasus, Russians, and outsiders, and, but then you talk with people, it's like, well, my mother's Kumik, my father's Avar, and you're like, well, then who are you? And, and you, you realize that, that there's, and then my wife is, is, is a, is Locke. And so, yeah, you've got this, this, hybrid hybrid identity going on where it's not like just given to you it's not clear cut there's so much decision making involved well who am i going to identify with which is my sort of ancestral village um which language am i going to continue if any these questions show that like culture and religion like these de- these decisions are really a, a multilateral three-dimensional playing field it's not it's not like um it's just traveling down the generations with no 
variation. And that's back to your point of, of fluidity and um, diversity. Whatever, whatever data we have is a snapshot, but things are constantly changing. Yeah. And it would probably depend who you would ask here, you know, um, for some people, um, you, there would be no separating the cultural identity from their religious identity. Right. Uh, whereas others would say, no, I still embrace my cultural identity, but, uh, I choose a different religious identity. Um, and yeah, but I think if you, yeah, I think you made a good point, at least in the the more Eastern republics, uh, Dagestan, Chechnya, Ingushetia, there is more of a sharp line in the sand. Um, you know, the majority of people there are Muslims and that, that is kind of how reality, the current day reality, I think in the region, man, Eli, would you add any other nuances you would add to religion today in the region? Nuance. Let me just think for a second. Mm. I think even bringing in the cultural aspect while you're thinking, I'll add this. You definitely hear from Caucasus peoples that sometimes their kind of traditional values they always carried, you know, either as a Kabardian or an English or an Avar, that those things actually conflict sometimes with what kind of how things are supposed to be done within Islam. Sure. And there can be a conflict even between the historic cultural values of the people with the values of Islam, you know. Um, Some people are able to make those things work well together. Uh, Others draw, draw a line and that can even bring tension within a family that all professes the same safe faith, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, the one thing that came to mind to add about nuance, I've been um, amused in a sense to find, to learn a little bit about, Dagestani North Caucasus perceptions of American religious life. Uh-huh. And I think it's a good warning for any of us looking in from the outside. So one of the early questions in many conversations that come up with people is whether I'm Christian or Muslim. Um, because I often talk about my faith in God and or, or I'm open with it. And so yeah. They want to know what that means. And when I tell them that there are a lot of Muslims in the U.S., they're floored. They're like, what? In other words, there's a a pretty strong um, stereotype and kind of generalization about America, which, you know, from inside America, yeah, (laughs) I know that there's, you know, large, uh, maybe majority... Um, population identifies in the Judeo-Christian camp, but like, of course there's like, we got everybody, everyone, (laughs) you know, and a lot of Muslims, you know, millions. And so uh, it's just, it's interesting to me that they have those perceptions. And I think, as you've been saying, like we definitely come to the table with our own perceptions that we've picked up from just what we've heard. And so to be able to deal with a person on a personal level and yeah. let, you know, let them tell you who they are. 
is a really great way to interact with a culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think it's a great point to end on. And I think you and I can both, you know, say with confidence that even as people coming from a different country with a different belief system than most of our Caucasus Muslim, uh, you know, friends and neighbors here, we've for the most part been welcomed with open arms, you know? Um, and like, that is such a huge strength of this region is how guests are treated. Um, and even I would say, even if having a different belief system, there's a pretty deep respect towards anybody who is religious, you know, uh, because they, they know it's important to you and that it wasn't just a, you know, off the cuff decision you made. Sure. Um, they, they appreciate the value of, of religion in a person's life. So, um, yeah. I think one other, maybe the last thing I would say is, um, in a way that we're not used to or comfortable with in, I think American culture, like people just talk about their beliefs and it's totally accessible and normal and good. And like, there would be nothing wrong if you were to travel to the North Caucasus and meet someone just be like, oh, what's your religion? What do you believe? What do you do? Can I visit? I mean, I love being taken to the mosque. I'm invited yeah. all the time. I like, come. And they're not doing it in some like, hey, hey we'll take you to the mosque. It's like, no, just come and sit in the back and watch. And uh, I I like that not only for ob- learning, observing, but for the uh, personal connection it makes. So I think that that's a great aspect of of life in, in the North Caucasus. There's a real freedom and openness about that. Yeah, that's great. It definitely uh, reflects the, the culture of hospitality here. Um, We were in Morocco in January and I was shocked that aside from the kind of main central mosque in Casablanca, uh, non-Muslims are not allowed in mosques in Morocco. I had no Uh, idea. I don't, I don't know if that's across the board. Tight. I don't know. If, no. I don't. Is that? I don't know if that's North Africa and Middle East too, or just Morocco. But like the Caucasus, they're like, yeah, come, come see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. Uh, some of the mosques, especially, are some of the kind of main things to see when you come here. So, right. Anyways, listeners, um, I hope this was helpful for you. Um, All seven episodes. If if we stepped on some of your toes. Uh, we were stepping on each other's toes too. So we were just all, all uncomfortable in this open conversation about religion in the North Caucasus. Um, but yeah, you if you get have over questions, it because in America, like the, the oh, dinner man. party rules are like, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. And those yeah. are the first two things that'll come up. Yeah. There's really none of that political correctness here. It's, it's on the table. So yeah. we, we would love to hear follow-up questions. If you have them, email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. Um, if we did make any glaring error or omission, uh, please let us know. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear from some of our local listeners uh, on that, but uh, yeah. It. Post on Facebook. Uh, let let us know what your thoughts were. If there are more questions, or if you think, you know, spinning off of this 
larger topic we could dive deeper in a couple of things we touched on briefly today. Yep. And check out our Patreon page if you are interested in supporting Caucus Talk. That's patreon.com slash caucus talk. Thank you to our faithful patrons there. We appreciate you a lot. And as always, you can check out our Facebook page where we are posting regularly and engaging in a lot of good conversation. So thank you for joining us for this really great dive into religion. Andrew, (laughs) great work. Good research. Hey, glad to do it. And uh, we'll see you guys when we get here. (laughs) 